This is the Citizen Heaven Podcast, number 76, Music. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Here's what I have for you this week. Music has always been an important part of my life. Mr. Beethoven may be cluing you into that a little bit. So this week we're finally getting around to talking about it in earnest. We will cover the parallels between musical harmonies and the unity of the spirit. We'll talk about how worship music can actually push people away from God. We'll talk about the most frequently covered song in all of YouTube and a game in which too much talent can ruin everything. Let's start with what I've been preaching. I'm a big fan of recordings of worship music, and the more fundamental and relatable and singable, as it were, they are, the better. There's one particular group that is very energized, that kind of thing. I really like listening to their recordings. They have a regular recording of a large choral group that sings along in harmony, and they have a learner's disc that they also supply that has the the soprano part, the bass part, the tenor part, and the alto part in separate channels. So if you're in your car and you direct the sound just to the front left speaker, you hear one part and directly to the back right speaker, you hear a different part. I have never deliberately listened to any of those discs. I completely and totally ignore them. I don't like hearing the individual parts. I like hearing the group. I like hearing everything together, connected, harmonious. It reminds me of what we are actually doing when we sing songs of worship. It's not just that we are praising our Heavenly Father, although obviously that is part of it. We are also engaged in a community effort. We are coming together, each person bringing something separate. Now, you may not be blessed with a congregation of people where there are a lot of very talented sopranos and a lot of very talented altos and tenors and basses, and you essentially perform as what might be considered pretty close to a professional choral group. There are churches out there that are like that, and it's marvelous to be in situations like that, to go to group singings where you have hundreds of people joining in harmony, and all the parts are represented, and it's just marvelous. Most of the time, it's not exactly like that, but hopefully we can get at least close to that, where we can appreciate what each part represents and what each part brings. It's kind of like listening to an orchestra. The sopranos are like the violins and the flutes way up high, usually carrying the melody, and the altos and tenors are kind of in the middle there. They're like the French horns and like the clarinets filling in the gaps, and the basses are like the the double basses, like the, the cellos, the tubas, the percussion that are down at the bottom forming that foundation. All of those parts are important, and when they come together, they form unity. They form harmony. And the connection between that and the unity of the Spirit, I think, is very important and relatively obvious. Each part has an important part to play. I like the part in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse number 14, where Paul writes here, Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. I think that's a very important point there. Just as he wanted. God designed it to work this way. God didn't want us to all be the same. We are all equal, but we are not all identical. And that's a very important thing because 
Jealousy is a real problem in the Lord's church because we're human beings and there's an element of jealousy in each one of us. And it may be that you really envy somebody's deep, powerful, booming bass voice, or you may envy someone's ability to sing as a soprano way up above the register and, and really command attention and that sort of thing. Uh, you may not be satisfied with being a bit part or in whatever way you, you just are not really satisfied. You think you're just underappreciated or maybe you don't sing all that well at all, whatever it happens to be. It's important for us to remember that whoever you happen to be in the body, you are important. Using the analogy that Paul uses here of the body, you may be an ear or an eye or a leg or whatever. And it may seem on the surface that one person may be important than another person. And in certain specific situations, they may be more important. But overall, as we live our lives before God, as we live our lives as a community of believers, it's not nearly so much about how, how effective a particular member is. It's about what the body can do. And the only way the body can do anything of substance, anything of consequence, is by working together as a community, as a harmonious unit. Paul writes about unity in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And starting in verse number one, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There through verse number three. And note there the emphasis on getting rid of the arrogance, emphasizing humility. This is not going to work if each one of us is trying to get the best we possibly can out of this arrangement. This is about pursuing unity, God's unity, the unity of the spirit. Now, sometimes we might think that we prefer the idea of the unity of the individual. If I can just get whatever I want and everybody agrees with me, then it's a perfect world. Well, it may be perfect for you in the short term, but that's to your glory. That's not to God's glory. And if we are in this for his purposes, then the only way that we can do that is by all of us coming together and promoting his agenda, promoting his will, and as is oftentimes necessary, putting down our own, not performing, but rather being part of a group and lifting up the group and encouraging the group. And if we can get good leadership as far as this goes, that helps tremendously. Leadership in a choral group, of course, might come from the director or from instructors. Leadership in the body of Christ would come from elders, especially, and to a certain degree, preachers as well. The more we can focus on the greater good, the bigger purpose behind what God is trying to do for us, the more effectively we can sing in harmony, we can work in harmony, we can accomplish good, his good, in our lives, in his body. Anyway, that's what I've been preaching. This is what I've been reading. A few years ago, I picked up why I Left the Contemporary Christian Music Movement by Dan Lucarino, and I've been looking for an opportunity to discuss it in this forum. It was a, it was a very interesting read. Uh, Mr. Lucarino comes from a rock and roll background. He was a performer, he was in uh, multiple bands, and at some point he found his spiritual side and came to be a part of the ubiquitous, gigantic, non-denominational group and with his musical background, of course, before too long, he found himself as a worship leader. And as such, he was responsible for moving the music of that particular group more and more toward the rock and roll side of things. And 
the very heavy drum beat, the very contemporary sound, uh, heavy instrumentation. And, and maybe I should preface my remarks by, before going any further by saying this. I come from a non-instrumental background my entire life. The worship that I have offered to the Lord individually and as a group was done without the aid of instrumental music. I continue to practice that today. The church here in Georgetown where I preach, we practice non-instrumental music not everybody does that, of course, and we'll talk about the pros and cons of instruments in, in a few moments to a certain degree. But Mr. Lugrino does not come from that background, of course. He believes that it is okay to have instruments. He just doesn't think that it's okay to have those kind of instruments. Because the more he experienced in their worship assemblies, the more he realized that something remarkable was going on with his congregants and not in a positive way. It was essentially recreating the rock and roll atmosphere that had been the case during his rock and roll days. And that was deliberate. It was intentional. And done in the same way with that heavy rock beat, with that strong voiced leader trying to get people excited and energized and motivated along emotional lines. And drums are remarkable with regard to that. That's a historical kind of thing, going all the way back to, to the early days when drums were first invented centuries and centuries ago. Virtually every culture uses this drum beat to get people excited. The, uh, the first example I thought of was We Will Rock You by Queen, back from my younger days. The boom, boom, cha, boom, boom, cha. If, if some band, Queen or anybody else, were to start performing that, automatically people start clapping their hands, stomping their feet. It is infectious. Pretty much any heavy metal rock and roll song, and not just rock and roll either. It's become universal practically. Almost every form of music is going to have this, especially live. When the group goes live and the drums start pumping, people get excited. It's not just an emotional thing, it's a chemical thing. Things are happening in our brains to move us toward an emotional response. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with an emotional response. But when that response becomes the goal, when it starts taking over our brain, it interferes with our intellectual impulses. And worship for God has always been putting our minds in a proper place, doing what we know to be the right thing, not just in music worship, but in everything. We are deliberately and intentionally mentally focused on the things that God is asking us to do. It's not about getting to a certain emotional state. We can do that with drugs or with sob stories or anything else. That's not what God does. God asks us to choose wisdom. Proverbs talks extensively about that, especially the first uh, nine chapters. Choosing, deliberately choosing a life of wisdom, making good, informed choices. That's not what this music does. This music appeals to us on a completely different level. Now, if you're talking about secular music, that may be fine as far as it goes. But worship music is different. And eventually, Mr. Lucarino tells the story of how he got away from that and got rid of the drum set and got focused back on this, what he might call a middle ground kind of thing, where they still had the instruments, but didn't have the drums anymore. And what I would like to do for a brief moment here is talk about this middle ground situation here and, and emphasize that although I appreciate the one reason for walking away from certain instruments, it does not finish the job. It does not get us to where God wants us to be. 
And if you are from an instrumental music background, I encourage you to study what the New Testament says about this music and about how God wants to be worshipped. And think about what our motivations are for including instruments, which fact of the matter is do not have anything to do with drawing closer to God. I've oftentimes said, and I will continue to say, there are only two reasons I've ever heard for including musical instrument worship in our assemblies. Either I like it, or I think other people are going to like it. That's it, as far as I can tell. And there's nothing wrong with liking the songs that we sing. There's nothing wrong with hoping that other people are going to like the songs that we sing. Generally speaking, if I ask a song worship leader why he chose a particular song, far more often than not, he'll simply he'll scratch his head because he's never been asked this question before, and then he'll say, well, I really like it. Well, that's fine as far as that goes, but that is said in a very specific context, a context where we have confidence that the songs that we are singing are from a very heavily and carefully curated list of songs that are, in fact, scriptural, that do honor God and that do instruct us, and that's going to be sung in a context where worship is going to be acceptable to God. That's a far cry from simply doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That kind of appeal is human-centered and not God-centered, and everything that we do has to be done in the name of Jesus Christ, Colossians 3, verse 17, including, in particular in that context, music worship. It has to be done to His glory, not to our own personal preferences. We need to get away from focusing on our style, focusing on our preferences, and get back to focusing on what God has for us to do. I love the words from the garden, where Jesus says in a very specific context, but nevertheless characterizing his attitude toward his heavenly Father, Matthew 28, 26, rather, and verse 39. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what we need to be doing in our worship, not just in our songs, but in everything. Not doing what we feel like we want to do and getting all emotional about it, but rather doing what God wants us to do and finding the emotion there. I assure you that if you love the Lord, if you love worshiping Him, if you love the thought of drawing closer to Him, you will find that emotional release. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. This is what I've been hearing. So what do you do in the middle of the night when you can't sleep? I'll tell you what I did last week one night. About 2.30 in the morning, I made some notes for a sermon. I did a little bit of work on planning the podcast. And then I set about compiling the list of my favorite covers of Africa by Toto, sung from my high school days. I have long theorized that Africa is the most frequently covered song on YouTube. And after a couple of days of research, I see nothing to indicate that I was wrong about that. I have watched at least 50 or 60 different renditions of it, and that is in addition to dozens and dozens that I saw that I did not watch, that I did not listen to. You know, eventually you have to call it quits, right? It's not just that a lot of different groups played the song. It's the variety that was really impressing me. There are bluegrass versions, there are heavy metal versions, there are a cappella versions, instrumental versions. There is the ubiquitous one-man band thing where he overdubs himself uh, over and over again. One person singing various parts, doing various percussions. I saw one guy who literally recorded 100 parts of the music that he did himself. 
when I was putting my list together, I didn't want more than one person from an individual nation, which meant that I could not include a guy who played Africa on two sweet potatoes and a butternut squash. That's a thing. Search for Africa Toto vegetables, and, and you'll find it. It's out there. Four million views, something like that. I didn't want anybody that I'd ever heard of, so Straight No Chaser is out. Weezer starring Weird Al Yankovic, maybe the first cover I've ever seen of that. That's out. And even with that kind of restrictions, there is an unbelievable variety of music out there simply about this one song. And it's not my favorite song necessarily. I'm not sure I'm eager to listen to 50 more versions of it anytime soon. But the idea that a particular song could inspire so many different people and have them put their own particular spin on it and there be so many spins and yet it still be the same song, that really impressed me. That really sunk into to my way of thinking. That it can be a bluegrass song, it can be a heavy metal song, it can be an acapella song, and still be Africa. Oh, and by the way, not a single one of these versions that I ever saw, as far as I could tell, was from Africa. I thought that was a little bit strange. But anyway, I found myself thinking about the fact that the Bible has been interpreted and reinterpreted in so many different ways. And the gospel itself stretches and stretches, and it still remains what it is. Now, you can abuse that privilege, of course. Uh, there's a, a version that I heard of Africa that was an attempt, at least, to play it in a minor key. I thought it was awful. It was probably the worst one that I heard the entire time. That did not sound like the song at all. And you can do that with the gospel, too. You can push things so far. You can modify your approach so far that it ceases to be what the Bible says. And we don't want to do that by any means. And it doesn't have to be a major change either. I remember hearing Keb Moe's version of Folsom Prison Blues one time, where he changes the line that Johnny Cash has there, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And instead it's, they say I shot a man in Reno, but that was just a lie. And it really impressed me that that one little change completely transforms the song. It's not a lament anymore. Now it's a protest song. Now, if you want to do that with Johnny Cash or Toto, that's your business. But we can't transform the gospel. I'm all in favor of updating things. I'm all in favor of bringing things into the modern day. I, I wouldn't want to preach a sermon written on sheets in the modern day. I've heard preachers who have heard about the old-time sheet preachers of the, uh, of the late 1800s and how great it would be to have these sheets and preach these sermons. I have no interest in doing that other than simply for novelty's sake. I don't know that that would accomplish very much. I'd much rather preach with a PowerPoint, with a video camera, with uh, effects that might be produced on a YouTube channel or something like that. I, that is more effective in the modern day. It wouldn't have been appropriate back then. They would have called it witchcraft. But as we change our approach to the gospel, and I think we should, we need to make sure that we do not change the gospel itself, that it remains what it is always. We take our emphasis away from the personal aspects of it, however it is that we present it, whether it's high-tech, low-tech, middle-tech, whatever. But we always put the emphasis on the gospel itself. You can take the attention away from the gospel with low-tech stuff, too. People were doing it in the first century, where they were the ultimate in analog societies. Uh, I like what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 5 and 6. Who then is Apollos? Who is Paul? Verse number 5 there. They are servants through whom you believed, and each one has the role God has given. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither is the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's not about the individuals. It's not about what I know or what I can do, or what kind of tools or toys I can play with. It's about honoring God. And no matter what I do, no matter how I do it, we cannot afford to stretch the gospel to the point where it ceases to be the gospel. Relevant is fine as far as that goes. I'm all in favor of making the gospel relevant, but making it relevant is not the goal. The goal is making it true. The goal is preaching the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to every man who, everyone who believes, Romans 1 verse 16, and that is always relevant. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. This is what I've been playing. Encore is a very popular party game. It's been around for a long time. Our family's played it for years. Uh, it, if you're not acquainted with the game, it works like this. In Encore, you sing a song, basically. You're given a word. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's home. Maybe it's safe or whatever it happens to be. Some relatively common word that would presumably be included in the lyrics of a variety of songs. And your job is, or your team's job, if you're playing with the team, is to come up with a song within a certain amount of time, limited amount of time, that includes that word. And you have to sing it. My singing ability is adequate. I can carry a tune, I can stay on tune, I can, I can read music pretty well, and I can stay on pitch and things of that nature. If you need a song worship leader, I'll, I'll do as well as most other people. But at the same time, it's not an opportunity to show off. And I find that I deliberately sing more poorly than I ordinarily do when I'm playing encore. Because it's just not the form. This is not karaoke night. This is not me trying to impress some kind of judge of panel. Simon Cowell is not in the room with me playing encore. This is about me having fun. And quite frankly, if you're one of these people, you know who you are who like to sing and show off singing, essentially, I don't want to play encore with this person. I really don't. This is not an opportunity to show how wonderful you are. This is about playing a game and making everybody comfortable rather than making everybody uncomfortable. The, the best kind of game, whether it's encore or any other kind of game, as far as I'm concerned, is when we create an environment where everybody is enjoying themselves. When somebody deliberately asserts himself above other people. This is not the time or place for that. This is not about exalting yourself. This is about playing a game with other people. I don't want to play a game where somebody isn't happy. It's, it's all about making the group happy. If somebody at the table isn't happy, I'm not happy. I don't want to be in that kind of gaming environment. I want us all to be together pursuing a good time. We want to blend in together. We want to have have unity among ourselves. We've been talking about unity a good bit in this particular podcast. It's not about focusing on yourself. I'm a better singer than you are, as it were. It's a competition, yes, but it's not showing off. And remember, this is not about me. This is about the group. This is about the experience as a whole. And that includes, as Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 tells us, thinking about the interests of others and not ourselves. And Jesus is our example, as Paul goes on to point out in that context. He thought of others first and foremost always. He didn't leave heaven so that he would be exalted. He left heaven for us. And that's what we need to be doing in our everyday lives. We need to be finding ways to honor and exalt other people, building them up. 
We talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a few moments ago. Let's go back there, verse number 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those who, parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. And he goes on to talk about that, how we deliberately in this relationship with other Christians find ways to lift up people who are not necessarily all that talented, not necessarily all that showy in their abilities, because that's what Jesus did. And ultimately, this is not just about elevating other people. It's about elevating the group, and it's about elevating the cause of Jesus Christ himself. We are individual parts that come together for the building up of the body of itself in love. Ephesians 4 verse 16 tells us that. And building up the body means building up Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3 tells us. It's all about promoting a greater agenda than simply our own. If you want to be known as the greatest singer in the world, if you want to be known as the, the greatest musician in the world, there are venues that you can do that in. But don't bring that into the body of Christ. We are all about a greater good than that. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please consider subscribing to the audio and or video versions, and better yet, sharing them through word of mouth or on social media. Feel free to reach out to me through my website, www.halhammonds.com, or through Facebook and Instagram. Criticisms, corrections, and encouragement are always welcome. Until next time, be strong in the Lord, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.